Thank you, Lord. We love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of the scriptures that speaks to us, the word that's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray you'd unlock truth to our hearts today. Release the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Come, I pray, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, stand with me, hold my hand. Let me speak as an oracle today. Give you thanks in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Good, amen. Let's uh, turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. And we will continue in our series. We're on part three of the glory of marriage. I just want to say this. It is, it is truly an honor to be able to um, stand before you and, and just to, to proclaim the word. I love um, studying. I love fellowshipping with the Lord and the scripture. And then I, I love being able to just to offer uh, whatever I feel like uh, the Lord is teaching me. So often, that's, that's how it goes. I just go in, I study a topic, and the Lord begins to teach me, and I'll just turn around and, and teach what he's speaking in my heart. And, uh, but I just want to say that I really love being able to preach and proclaim to you. It's a real privilege to, to be able to stand and, and preach the word of God. So with that in mind, I, I want to say this, that as I've been studying this subject of marriage that the Lord has been ministering to me so deeply. And, uh, and so I take it very seriously. I take this stewardship of the word very seriously. And I, I want to encourage you to as well. I, I'm not trying to just come and give another lesson. I know you guys know that. And so um, let's, let's engage our hearts to hear what the Spirit would be saying to us. Holy Spirit, he's the teacher. And, uh, and I am so grateful for how he visits me. And, and some of, one of my biggest challenges at times is, feeling like I'm uh, struggling to communicate, to convey what the Lord is, is speaking to my heart, to actually get it out in a way that it's landing as impactfully as it's impacting me. And so I think that's probably the challenge of many preachers. But uh, again, let's, let's come before the word. Let's allow it to, to penetrate us today. So here we are on part three of uh, this, this series, The Glory of Marriage. And um, one of the things as I was approaching this topic, I realized is that there's so much uh, in our society that um, it, it's trying, that's trying, so many voices that are trying to redefine uh, marriage and, and many voices that dishonor, really dishonor marriage. Uh, I, somebody sent me an article this week, um, a, a New York Times article that was reporting that in France now, the, the majority of the, uh, the public um, feels that um, civil unions are a better alternative th- than marriage, that marriage is, is no longer something that's appropriate, but that, that civil unions are. And then a few weeks ago, I, I read a, a statistic that came out um, by Pew Research Center in our own nation, where about 42% of those fo- 18 to 49, they feel like marriage is now obsolete, and, and I was thinking about our casual approach to marriage and how because oftentimes we approach marriage very casually, almost as something that's just, just a, a kind of a run-of-the-mill thing, that because we approach it without a lot of honor for it, that we end up dishonoring it as an institution 
And then we dishonor each other in our marriages, our spouses. And, and ultimately, because of that, we dishonor God. And Hebrews 13, verse 4, it, it actually it, it speaks directly right into this issue of honoring marriage. And so uh, today, I want to talk a little bit about that, having the right mentality about marriage, and then also give a little bit of a definition of marriage, um, because I think what's happened is voices in the church, voices outside of the church, we've, we've heard so much about marriage, some very uh, negative, you know, the idea of marriage being redefined as between a man and a man or a woman and a wo- woman is an absolute uh, perversity to the truth of the institution of marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman only. And, and it, it has, there's no other option for what marriage is supposed to be. And I'm going to give you real clear why from the scripture in just a minute. But these things are defacing this, this institution of marriage. An institution to me isn't the best word. I don't know what the best word is, but it's, it's bigger than an institution. I'll tell you that. It's a mystery. And I'm going to give you a lot of words to, to describe it. But because it's being defaced, because the, the, uh, the honor of marriage is being belittled, I think we need to redefine it all together, especially if we're going to teach on the glory of it. For us to see marriage in the right light, we've got to actually get back to a good definition of what this thing even is. And I think we might know, we, th- we might think we know what marriage really is and, and what it is not, but I, I, I want to take the time. I would prefer to go slow at the risk of saying things maybe you already think you know uh, and, and actually get a real clear focus on what this is we're talking about rather than uh, just sort of risk it that we, you know, because we might have a couple hundred different mentalities of what marriage is based on the number of people that are actually listening. And so uh, I want to give definition. So uh, Hebrews 13, the writer of Hebrews gives us a, a, a clear word regarding marriage and how it's to be esteemed and approached. Hebrews 13, verse 4, the NKJV says marriage is honorable among all. The NAS says marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the NIV says it even more plainly. Marriage is to be honored by all. Marriage is to be honored. It's to be honored. The institution of marriage, the relationship of marriage... It's to be esteemed and dignified. Clearly, the word of God is real pointed. I mean, just lands it. Marriage is to be honored by everybody. It's to be esteemed, dignified. And I think because of, well, a variety of reasons, but marriage does not, it, it does not by and large, carry the dignity that scripture ascribes to it. And because of that, we don't treat marriage with the esteem that we ought. And I think that we've got to get back to discovering the, the honor that's, that's uh, ascribed to marriage. We've got to get back to dis- rediscovering why is this thing honorable? Why is this thing to be esteemed? Why is there a command? Why, why is there a command in the Bible for us all to honor it? And uh, I think we've got to sort of raise the esteem of marriage in our eyes And when we do that, we will esteem our spouses, I believe. Marriage is, it's a holy institution created by God. This is God's idea. 
the concept of marriage, that a man and a woman would be joined together. That's God's idea. In fact, it's so, um, it's so linked to original design, and I'm going to go into that in just a minute, that we've got to begin to see uh, marriage as a, a really um, serious feature of God's creation, of God's design of humanity. Marriage, that the marriage relationship, it's to be the nucleus by which human society is built upon, marriages. That's how God builds a society. That's how God has designed to, to uh, plenish the earth with people, is <laughs> through marriage. No other means through marriage. And so marriage, your marriage, your spouse, whether you're single or married, the relationship that you'll have with your spouse is and will be the most foundational relationship to your entire life. And somebody you say, well, what about father and mother? Well, I do agree that father and mother, they, they lay foundational tracks in your heart. And hopefully they're, they're living uh, as declarations of the knowledge of who God is as, as father and, and, and who he is as, as one that's uh, a cherishing uh, and a nurturing father. But ultimately the scripture says this, you're going to leave your father and mother and you're going to be joined to a spouse. So you might do father and mother for 20, 25, 30 years, whatever. But you're going to do uh, marriage for the next 50. <laughs> and so you can see that that relationship even outweighs that father and mother relationship for sure in time. And then also in the language he uses. Because he says the married are actually one. They're actually one together. Now these are common thoughts, but they actually need a deeper look because if you can, by rote, just say, yeah, I'm one with my spouse, and it doesn't cause you to just go, no, wait, wait, wait a minute, what does that mean? Then I, what I want to say is that the cliche of that has stolen from you the revelation of this great mystery. And so uh, I want you to think about the issue of honoring marriage and, and ask yourself this, how much are you honoring your marriage? How much do you esteem it? How important is it in your eyes? How critical is it? And what I mean is not in the sense of how is it for you, but how is it in terms of your investment? In other words, when you think about the time you spend with your spouse and, and, and spend in your family, what level of honor do you place on that, on that relationship? It should be the highest. Should be the highest honor out of every other relationship that you have. So I want to I go back to original design. I, I want to use a term, image bearers, and talk about marriage in this context. In Genesis 1, we have the account of creation. We have it in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 1. He runs right through it. In chapter 2, he goes back and gives us some details of it. And we get the, the seven days of creation in Genesis 1. And we get where the Lord says, he said in verse 26 of chapter 1. And I'd like, if you, if you're going to take notes, to, to pay attention to what I'm going to say. Jot this down, because this I think this is extremely important. He says, let us make man in our own, limit, in our own image. In Genesis 1, verse 26. According to our likeness, the con I mean, this is a stunning thought, the conversation of the Godhead, Father talking to Son, Spirit talking to Father and Son, they're all talking together. 
And God says, I want to make somebody that's like me. I mean, that is a crazy thought. The transcendent God says, I want to make one that bears the image of me. I want to make one that that bears the likeness of me. The uncreated God, transcendent of a completely different order. He says, I've got all this under creation, but I am going to make one that's unique in the order of all my creation, and that one will bear my image. It will bear my likeness. I will make man. And so it says, in our, in, in our image, and our likeness, let us make man and let him have dominion. And it goes on in, in verse 27, it says, and God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him. And then there's a semicolon, and it says male and female, he created them. Where that semicolon is, I would encourage you at that point then to flip to chapter two and begin reading the narrative in verse seven. Because we get the the account in more detailed fashion in chapter two. Because he says he created man, and then he says male and female, he created them. But what we see in chapter two is the detail of how how he did this thing. So he, he forms Adam out of the dust of the ground. In verse 7, he breathes life into Adam. And here is Adam, formed of dust with the life of God breathed into him, an image bearer of the uncreated God. Beloved, it doesn't matter who you meet. They are one who bears the image of God. The weakest among us is an image bearer. One created in God's image and likeness. The attributes of that person speak to every person that would see them of God. When you're looking at someone, you are looking at one who is an image bearer, bearing the image of the uncreated God. That is a stunning thought. I mean, when you begin to really uh, consider the dignity of humanity, that God would make man in his own image and likeness, that should tweak how you treat every person you come in contact with. Whether they're sour or happy, easy to get along with or not, that person is an image bearer. They're one that's carrying a dignity that you and I, we, we, kinda, we don't really have the esteem for that dignity, but it is a dignity unsurpassed in all of creation. You and whoever they are, we all are ones bearing the image of God, the uncreated one. When God thought, I want to make something that's like me, he made you. I mean, that is intense. He forms Adam, gets dust together, blows life into it, and Adam becomes a living being. The Lord, verse 15, it says, he took the man, he put him in the Garden of Eden. He tells him to cultivate it. Verse 18, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper just, just like him. One suitable with him. I'm going to give him a companion and a helper. I was thinking of the position of a wife in, in marriage, and I was thinking about how uh, the Lord calls uh, Eve Adam's helper. And then I was also thinking about how the Lord calls Holy Spirit our helper. And so often in marriage, the, the, it's, you know, people have these wrong images of, of submission and authority, and we're going to talk about that in a week ahead. But I'll tell you what, uh, ladies... Wives, you're called helper and so is Holy Spirit. That gives you a real picture of the influence you have in the heart of your spouse. 
We would not do very much without Holy Spirit here with us. And so in a sense, you could say your husband wouldn't do very much without you. Wonderful helper. Wife. What a mystery that is. So he says, I'll make a helper suitable for him. Verse 21. Causes him to go in a deep sleep. He takes from his side a rib and closes up the flesh and he fashions a woman out of the, out of the man's rib and he brings her to Adam. And then Adam, after because he's named all the animals now. I mean, what an exhausting week or 10, whatever it is, months. I mean, I figured it out one time. I think it's like months it would take him to actually name every species of animal and bug and bird. And then if he had to name all the plankton and fish, it's like, it's forever. I mean, it just takes months. The guy's out there just bird, whatever, dog, armadillo, just names them all, cow. I mean, and, and by the end of it, Adam is just dog tired and he gets it. Then there's not one of these that he wants to get, he wants to get close to really. God puts him to sleep, pulls the rib out of his side, makes woman. He goes, now, I mean, then you kind of get the feeling now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is one like me. This is one just like me. And then we get the commentary. It's actually Moses' commentary because there's no way Adam would have understood the concept of reproduction. He would not have understood the concept of fathering, mothering. He wouldn't have gotten the concept of family unit by just seeing Eve. He just said, there's one like me. She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And then we get the commentary from Moses, who's the, 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 the writer of Genesis. Moses inter- interjects here in verse 24, and he says, for this reason, for what reason? Because God made man, and he made them male and female. Remember, we're in between the semicolon. God said, I want to make an image bearer. Male and female, he made them. We're in that semicolon right before he says male and female. And he goes, because for this reason, that God made an image bearer and he made them male and female. He goes, now here's another point to the image bearing. Let them leave their fathers and mothers and let them be joined together and the two shall become one. Beloved, here's what I'm saying. The honor it is of humanity to be an image bearer of God, bearing the image and likeness of God in creation, that dignity is stunning. And right next to it, right there connected to it, is the issue of being joined as a husband and wife in in holy matrimony and actually becoming one with your spouse. That is linked with the issue of being an image bearer. So just as an individual bears the image and likeness of God, the marriage relationship also bears the image and likeness of God. And that cannot be underemphasized. That cannot be treated as a, just a, you know, a, a standard thing. That is stunning. That God would say, okay, I will make man and I will put on him the likeness of me and I will join man. I will allow man to be joined together in a union that declares the union that I desire with man. And because we have misunderstood the issue of being image bearers and having an image bearing relationship that we call marriage, because we've misunderstood that, we've completely defamed marriage. 
We've completely treated it as if it's something normal, something that's just, just an average thing. You know what we do? We express how shallow we are, and here's how we do it. We spend thousands of dollars and all this time preparing for one wedding day, two, you know, two hours max, and then we almost spend no time dignifying and honoring and sowing into the life of our marriage in the years ahead. We spend all this energy about go crazy. Driving everybody around is crazy. So two hours can look real good. And then how much time do we spend in the investment in that marriage over the long haul? Seeing to it that it bears the image of Jesus, the bridegroom, and the bride that he will be joined with forever. That's critical. Absolutely critical. And so then, because marriage is being redefined and being effaced in in society, because people think it's obsolete, the knowledge of God is being effaced and and run down. And and now they're trying to redefine marriage. And people think marriage is obsolete. And I tell you, marriage is not obsolete. It'll never be obsolete. Marriage is a declaration of the glory of God. And I'll tell you this, if we will treat marriage with the esteem and the honor that we're supposed to treat it, I tell you, we will, we will love and honor and, and, and esteem our spouses, and we will glorify God and esteem and honor him through it. Oh, beloved, this is important. So important. I was thinking about the, uh, the image of a knot. We say tie, tie the knot. I'm gonna tie the knot. Beloved, it's not a knot. It's a supernatural joining of God. That, that's not, it, knots can be untied. What God joins together, he says, don't let a man try to pull it apart. The reason why is because you will so radically get ripped in your soul. He goes, that's why it covers your, your garments with violence. Because there is a fusion that takes place, a spiritual mystery that takes place when a man and a woman make covenant with one another. It's not a knot, I promise you. It's way more intense than a knot. And God joins us together. And so this, what is marriage? What is this thing? What's the deal with this thing? What, what's, how do we define this thing? Now, I want to just take a minute and just, we'll just, let's just go through some definitions. Let's just answer the question, what is marriage? There's not one sentence to answer it. There's a bunch of different pictures that we can begin to try to answer it with. But, I mean, this thing is a mystery, and I'm going to talk about that in just a sec. Marriage is a, a huge mystery. And if you're married, you know that. <laughs> Because you spend all your time going, what the heck? What did I get into? It's a mystery. But one that we get the, we get the uh, opportunity to, to plow into and, and find out what's going on in there. God gives us marriage, I think, and, and one of the, the key reasons is to find God in it. He gives us marriage so we can find him in it. I was, say, I was saying this to my wife the other night. You know, we were, were talking about these things and we went out to eat, me and her and Raya. Our dates now consist of my wife and I and our baby girl now. And, uh, and Raya's been so, she has just really cooperated. She, it's, it's like when we go on a date, we walk in the restaurant, she just knocks out. I'm like, thank you, baby girl. And we just, Mary Beth and I'll just talk for a couple hours. 
So I said to my wife, I said, I, I'm not sure that we've, we've really understood what marriage is about. And, and, and one of the things Mary Beth and I talk about, and she would be happy for me to say this, and I'll say it again tonight when she's here. But, you know, obviously I communicate a lot. I'm a public communications major. I, in college, I had some of my degrees in, and obviously I communicate a lot. I figured one time that basically for the last, whatever it is, 18 years, I've spoke publicly about three to four times a week on average. And then that doesn't count the number of like small groups and meetings I have to run. So I'm communicating all the time. And so it's, it's, it's a strength. It's just, it's just something the Lord gave me as a strength. Well, it's, it's probably not her, her greatest strength to just communicate clearly and just lay things out. And, and I've got so much more communication out there that it's just I'm something I'm totally used to. So sometimes in our marriage, and I just looked at her, I said, I've just, I feel so ashamed. I feel, and not like I'm walking around with shame on me, but just, I just goofed up so bad in our marriage Trying to make you communicate in a way that's, you know, like I communicate or quote unquote, as good as I do. And I said, you know, what if God's point in our marriage isn't about you becoming a good communicator? What if God's point in our marriage is about me gently loving you, even if you don't communicate in the way that I'd want you to? What if that's really the point of marriage? What if the point of marriage is me learning how to love you and what I esteem to be weak and you learning to love me and what you esteem to be weak about me? What if that's the reality of why we're in this thing? And, and, and it just, you know, the definitions and the reasons for marriage, they're so varied and, and they're, so, they're so, I just think they're so different than what the Lord was trying to give us. So that was my little point I was trying to make. All right, Matthew 22, let's look at that. Thanks, Lord, I would have been, that would have been scratching me the entire rest of the message. I'd be like, what is that thing I was trying to say? Matthew 22, Jesus, right here at the end of his life, he's laying out for us some of the most important things on his heart. And he gives us this really important verse, Matthew 22, verse 22. He gives us an important parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And so what is marriage? It's a key. It's one of the key pictures that we have of God's kingdom. Marriage is one of the key pictures that we have of God's kingdom. And we've talked about this in part the last couple of weeks, but it's, it's so, so important that we understand that who you are, a husband and wife, who you are is a declaration of, of, of part of God's eternal purpose for his relationship with you. Jesus, perfect, perfect bridegroom, perfect in beauty, Perfect in everything. Loving the pauper bride. Loving her into perfection. Our marriages are to be a symbol of that. All day long, every day, he's calling us to have a, a, a living symbol of this declaration of who he is. Oh, I love the thought. I love the thought. I mean, I, I'm surely not there but just the idea of somebody who's unsaved and they look at the husband and wife relationship and they go, man, that's amazing what you guys have going on. And, and then the husband and wife, they don't give some humanistic answer. They actually say, it's actually a picture of the way Jesus cares about you. 
And that, and that actually having weight on it and penetrating the heart of the unsaved. I, I mean, I, I really believe that's one of the major purposes, that it could be such a declaration of love poured out and laid down, such a declaration of the bridegroom and bride living together, loving, serving in unison, that, that it could be such a picture that even the lost would look at, that, at a Christian marriage and go, that is of, that's of another realm, that's of another order. What is that? And, it's, and, and then the, the Christian can answer and say, it's God. It's the way God feels about you. These things, I mean, I, I, I love my wife. I've always loved her. She's, oh, she's so amazing. But these things have taken on, a, 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 they took on another trajectory in my heart when I realized that I wasn't loving her just so she and I could have a good human relationship. That I was loving her to declare the beauty of God. And that I was loving her and, and in effect loving God by loving her. Because he, he's called me into marriage so that I could be a testimony. So I could be a living testament of this image-bearing relationship to the whole world that would look. That anybody that would see, they would go, whoa, you guys have got an, a really good something going on there. And we could say, yeah, this is the way that Jesus feels about you. And I know we go, man, well, my marriage, it's not exactly uh, that level. Well, neither is mine. But that's the way we're, that's, the, that's the, what we're supposed to be going for. Is flowing in marriage as a testament to this, that the kingdom of heaven is like a good king who's arranging a marriage for his son. Beloved, we're going to a marriage and you and I are gonna be married to deity. This thing is gonna end in this age. It's gonna end in a garden with us marrying God. That's the story of creation. You and I, we are gonna be joined forever with Jesus. And marriage is a living testament of that. Oh, the kingdom of heaven is like a father, a good king, arranging a marriage for his son. And that's what you and I have. Marriage, a declaration of God's kingdom. Well, what else is marriage? Well, marriage is a mystery. Ephesians 5, flip over there. I want to show you this. What is marriage? It's a key image of God's kingdom. Marriage is a mystery. Here we have Ephesians 5, Paul quoting Genesis chapter 1. He's quoting that, what Moses said there and, 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 and reiterating it to us. Or it's chapter 2, verse 24, I should say. He says it in verse 31 of Ephesians 5, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, for what reason? Because it's an image-bearing relationship. Just as man being created bears the image of God, so too the relationship between man and woman bears the image of God. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Now, I said it last week, but the only other thing that, that Paul describes as a great mis mystery a megas, the, the, the Greek is megas mysterion. The, the, the only thing that he describes as a great mystery is the incarnation. God becoming a man. The incarnation, this is a season when we, 
When we think about Jesus born of a virgin, we, we think about the fact that God, that he, that he put on flesh, and, and that's the most, I mean, it's the most humbling thought that God would, would in that way become a man. And when Jesus became a man, that he became a man forever. And he doesn't come in as the king of the universe. He comes in as a baby. <laughs> and that concept of, of the incarnation is stunning. I mean, I look at, at our baby and I go, oh my goodness, God, you became like this. You were an infant, you were a toddler, you were a child, you were a teen, God became a man. It's a great mystery. And then Paul, the only other time he uses that phrase, great mystery, is in regard to the joining of, of man and woman. Now think about this. This is what happened to you. You fell in love with her. She fell in love with you. You, you put on some nice clothes. You had a big party planned. A minister stands there. Your friends show up. Somebody walks down the aisle. There you are together. And at some point in time, the minister says, do you take her and do you take him forever? Something like that. And in the process, you said yes. And when you said yes, when you said yes, a great mystery took place. You became one. The word, the Hebrew word, that one flesh word in, in Genesis 2.24, that one flesh word, it really means one person. Because we know in that moment, you guys didn't fuse into one body and have one head and two arms, and now you're just stuck in one body and, and one flesh in that sense. You actually became one person, which means this, that you share the attributes of soul. You share the attributes of emotion. You share the attributes of heart with one another. See, if you're joined with the Lord, you're one spirit with the Lord. But if you're joined with a spouse, you're one person with your spouse. And this thing happened. What a, what a mystery. You said yes, and God did it. God joined you. What a shock. You became one with that person instantaneously. Just like when you get born again, you become one spirit with the Lord. Now, here's the thing that we don't quite comprehend. Though it happens instantly, it also happens over time. Because you and I, we get born again, and most of the time we said, when we said yes to Jesus, whenever that was, we didn't really comprehend completely what we were saying yes to. Some of us just didn't want to go to hell. Some of us just wanted, you know, like a better life or, or whatever. So, okay, Jesus, take my life. I, I, I receive what you did for me. I repent of my sin. Be my Lord. And so we, we said it somehow, and, and, and he said yes. When we said yes, he was already saying yes, and so we say yes to him. And, and in that moment, we get born again, and the Bible says that we are, whoever is joined with the Lord, 1 Corinthians 6, 17, is one spirit with the Lord. But then what do we do? We go on a journey of becoming conformed to the image of his son unto a future time when we will be joined forever as husband and wife with Christ. There's gonna be a marriage. There's gonna be a wedding. We're on the way to that. That's getting, that's getting ready to happen. We're being more and more joined with him. So we are joined with him and we are being joined with him to be completely joined with him. Well, when you got married, 
Whatever that transaction looked like, you went down and you said yes. A miracle took place. A shocking miracle took place. When you pledged your heart and your life to that person, something happened and you became one person with them. God did it. And this is a mystery. And all of a sudden, all of your stuff that you were after and your spouse's, all the stuff that they were after, all of a sudden, it had to come under another standard. And it was the standard of who you are now as one and not who you used to be as one in yourself. And all of a sudden, this great mystery of the joining of people happens, happens instantly, and then you embark on the process of becoming one. We become one instantly so that we live the rest of our life becoming one together. It's a great mystery. It's a great mystery. But ultimately, it ends up looking like this, that whatever your pursuits, whatever your desires, whatever you're after, they're always going to have to come under the, the standard. They're going to have to come under the, the accountability of who you are as one with that spouse that you said yes to. Because you are one. You were fused. You were fused. How does God do that? I don't know. You say simple words and your spirit gets filled with God. You say simple words and that's how you get saved. You say simple words and you become one with another person. You become one. Beloved, this is not about getting to go on a good honeymoon. Some people are so excited. We're going to get married. And, oh, and then we're going to go to Sandals in the Bahamas. And oh, man. I go, bro, you have no clue. I hope you have fun at Sandals. Uh, you, are, you don't get it. Marriage isn't two people sort of coming together and making a nice new double hole. <laughs> Two parts now make a whole. You know what marriage is? You got one over here, you got one over here. Those two collide, get destroyed, and hopefully they fuse back together as a brand new one. It's not you bringing your half and, and, and your spouse brings their half and now your two little halves fit nicely together just like those little heart brooches, you know, the cut in half. Love, L-O and V-E, and you got them and you move, and now we're one. No, no, no. What it is is you've got a globe... Your spouse has got a globe, ram those together, they blow up, and all that on the ground, all that glass shattered together, that's the new you. You get to put that together in a new globe. That's the journey for the rest of your life. How did, have you thought about this mystery? God joined you with that person? Guys, I was talking to my wife about this. I was going, you and I are one. We're one. We're one. Oh my gosh. I mean, we've been one for 18 years, but oh my gosh. I mean, it was just, it was freaking me out a bit. Have you thought about that? It's just like in Christ, your life is not your own. In your marriage, guess what? Your life is not your own. You became one with that person by a miracle, by the power of God. An unbelievable miracle took place. You pledged in covenant and God went, okay, I honor it. Boom, and he made you one. Why? Because he's gonna be one with us. 
What's he doing? He's speaking of the mystery of God joining himself to man in the incarnation. Just like us, we get joined to each other. Oh my goodness. This thing is a mystery, beloved. It's to be esteemed and honored and treated and with the utmost respect. Oh, we've got to see this for what it is. It's a process that takes place. I said this way, marriage is the progressive joining of two individuals who intend to become one together in God. They are immediately one, but at, mat- at matrimony, they begin to embark upon the journey of oneness. They become immediately one, and at matrimony, they embark on a journey of oneness. So what's marriage? It's a picture of God. It's a picture of his kingdom. What's marriage? It's a mystery by which the two become one. What is marriage? Marriage is a spiritual discipline. This is the one that rocked my world. And I'll reference Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. That book, it's, it's an interesting book. This is what I've been telling people. If you've never read Celebration of Discipline, which I would, it's basically required reading for Christianity, Celebration of Discipline. It's an awesome book that just goes through the standard Christian disciplines with light and life on it and talks about the word and prayer and fasting and giving and serving and just takes you right through those, those disciplines that all Christians should live. It's just a wonderful book. It's Celebration of Discipline. It gives all the the uh, key disciplines that Christians should live by. Well, it took me about 100 pages to realize this, but Gary Thomas's book, Sacred Marriage, in my opinion, it's like the celebration of discipline for marriage. It actually takes you through all the deal of what you'll have to work through when you get married unto becoming more godly, unto becoming more like Jesus. And then he says it this way. He goes, what if marriage could be seen by those that are getting married just the same way that living a monastic life of, of celibacy is seen by those who go uh, you know, into, into being a, a monk or a nun? What if, what, if, what if those that get married could see marriage in the same way? See, the celibates, they go and become a monk or a nun because they see it as a spiritual discipline of laying their life down for God and only being joined to God. But what if in marriage you actually saw the same thing, that you're gonna actually be joined as, uh, 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 as one with this person and the whole process is gonna take some incredible dying to yourself. The whole thing is gonna be a spiritual discipline of serving, of giving, of loving, of laying your life down. And oh, then I began to see something differently. I thought, wow, well then if I love my wife, I'm practicing love. If I serve my wife, I'm practicing serving. If, if, I, if I put away my desires and, and, I, and I go for hers, then I'm actually preferring her first, just like what Ephesians 2 says. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who considered himself of no reputation, but he humbled himself to the point of death. He goes, prefer one another, right there in Ephesians 2. He lays out the, the life of the Christian. I go, oh my goodness, if, if, if I can look at my marriage in this light, then I get to actually serve and give and love. And I, oh, I've got my wife right there. It's the, it's the most obtrusive relationship possible to be able to practice it in. It's the most hot crucible. 
It's, it's the most intense focus. I mean, it's day in and day out. Woo! This is about the most intense spiritual discipline you can get into marriage. I can be pretty holy if I don't have to deal with anybody. Like, just sit in a room and don't have to talk to anybody, don't have to deal with anybody. But in marriage, I am so joined. God just he puts it all in front of you. Will you t- choose your selfishness or will you choose selflessness? Will you choose love that gives or hypocritical love that wants it for you? Will you serve or will you want to be served? All of a sudden I go, oh my goodness, marriage is a spiritual discipline. It's actually living life laid down and poured out for another because I'm loving God in it. I'm finding God in this and I'm loving God in this. It's easy to love them when they feel, when they make you feel good. But what about when they don't make you feel good? I'm telling you, in marriage, you get to love your friends and your enemies all in one person. It's a spiritual discipline. You get to love those who love you and love those who persecute you all right there. It's in one package. It's beautiful how the Lord set this up. And you can't get out of it. You're joined forever. I've always wondered what it was like when Siamese twins had an argument. Just look in your marriage. It's about the same thing. You know Siamese twins, they got two heads. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry about That's how it is though. You are joined. You are fused together. Francis de Sales, he's a, he's a mystic. He's a great doctor and teacher in the church. He says this. When he was asked, he was asked by a, a woman who was, who was trying to figure out whether she should remain celibate or get married because she thought being celibate would be more holy. His response was, the state of marriage is one that requires more virtue and constancy than any other. It's a perpetual exercise of mortification from this time plant, T-H-Y-M-E, from this time plant, in, in spite of the bitter nature of its juice, you may be able to draw and make the honey of a holy life. See, for years, the doctors of the church and the, and the, and the spiritual directors and the mystics, they all thought, well, if you wanted to be really holy, you didn't get married. And they looked down on marriage. But I don't think that's what God's intention was at all. And I think DeSales actually gives us a hint into it. Marriage is actually just as much a crucible as the celibate life. It's a gift one way or the other. To be celibate or to be married. That's a gift from God. And in both paths, there's a required mortification. There's a required cross that you have to bear. Marriage is a spiritual discipline. Well, what else is marriage? I'm going to land here pretty soon. I've got a long list. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven more, but I'm not going to give them all to you. Because you can't, you can't do what is marriage in a phrase. It's so many things. But I tell you, it's way better and way more dignified and way more holy and way more esteemed than I think it's getting credit for.
See, my prayer is that we would honor our marriages. Really honor them. It's the foundational relationship of your life. I will give an account for how I led this community. But that account, I will give an account to the Lord for it. But that account will be lesser. It will be subservient to the account that I will give on behalf of my family. On behalf of how I, how I treated my wife. How I served her and loved her. And my children. There are five people that I will give a specific first round account for. And I want to honor and esteem that relationship above every other. Know that we would have that same honor, that same dignity for our marriages. Well, what is marriage? Here's the last one that I'll give, and then I'll give a list, and then we'll pray. Marriage is a continuous sacrament. I thought, yeah, sacrament. And I thought, now what again is a sacrament? (laughs) Well, I know what they are, but I just like, what is it really? Sacraments, baptism, communion, those are the ones that are identified by the, by the Protestant church. Those are the two key ones. What are they? They are rites. They are practices that we find God in the symbol of it. Just like in communion, you have the, the picture of the bread and you have the picture of the wine and it speaks of Jesus' crucifixion, his crucifixion and his, his broken body and his shed blood. And, and we go and we, we take those symbols and we find God in that moment. We experience revelation and we experience grace through fellowshipping with him through the sacrament. Baptism. We go into the water and and just like Jesus went into the grave and came up and was raised from the dead, we we go into baptism to follow him in that example as ones who are are dying to our desires and and, and dying to our will and, and, and going into death that we might be raised in newness of life that we find in Christ. It's a sacrament. And I believe we find God in there. And I I do believe there's an impartation of grace in the sacraments. Well, marriage, it's a continual sacrament, which is awesome. Because it's not just a moment where I take bread and I drink a cup. It's actually a covenant relationship that I make for the rest of the days of of my life in this age. And I walk out every day the picture of finding God in it. See, beloved, marriage is a journey by which you get to find God. You get joined with this person and in there, oh, you get so exposed. One of the things I said later is marriage is a journey of discovery, mostly about yourself and how selfish you really are. I always love it and they, they always say it so sweetly. But young couples, they'll come to me, they go, man, I was, I was living for Jesus, I was single, I just really thought I was holy, and then I got married. And man, it's ugly now, you know? And I'm like, that's right. Because it's a journey of discovery, it exposes self. And so the continuous sacrament of marriage, I'm, I'm worshiping God every single day. I'm finding God in the fact that I'm joined to this other person. I'm laying my life down. I'm living the cross. I'm continually living the sacrament of my relationship with the Lord through this reality of marriage. Oh, it's beautiful. God would give us the opportunity to daily walk out 
what it means to be loved by him. We get to walk it out with another. Gary Thomas, he said this, marriage is an act of praise and obedience and a means of grace that is inherently every bit as spiritual as anything that goes on in a monastery or any church or missions field and every bit as important or more as any other quote-unquote work that one might do in the world. What you do in your marriage, it's a continuous sacrament unto God. It's beautiful. I said marriage is a journey of discovery. I said marriage is a confrontation. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is an invasion of privacy. Marriage is a crisis. (laughs) Marriage is a death sentence. (laughs) I'm spending a lot of time popping the, the... bursting the bubble of fantasy around marriage because I want it to be esteemed not with the way that we would be excited about going to an amusement park, but I want it to be esteemed in the way that you might be excited if you're going to meet a a dignitary or a head of country. You see the difference? And then what is, I wrote a few things, what marriage is not. It's not a means to your own satisfaction. It's not a means to meet your own needs. Rather, it's a magnifier of your neediness and a declaration of your great need of God. Beloved, I just pray that we would get a a new definition for marriage, a new honor for what it means to have this person that you said yes to forever, that you have joined yourself to forever. You share everything with them. You share your, your life with them. You share your, your bed with them. You, you share all your dreams, all your desires, all your focuses. Oh, that we'd get a, a new dignity and a new honor for what this thing, this thing called marriage, what this thing really is. It's a declaration of the glory and the beauty of God. It's a mystery, a miracle, a powerful miracle that God's given us. Oh, I I, I tell you, these thoughts have have just breathed fresh life. On on my approach to my marriage, I don't think anything has particularly changed dramatically. I just just feel like the Lord in it. (laughs) Because when we approach marriage with the key with the key purpose of, of making another person happy or making ourselves happy. It has such a humanistic approach to it. But when we approach marriage with the picture of actually making God pleased and, and glorifying God and finding God in it, oh, then I'll lay my life down for that other person. <laughs> Good. What is marriage? Oh, I don't know. But it's good stuff. It's intense. I love it. Let's stand. You're an image bearer. And your marriage is to be an image bearer. Just let that settle on you for a minute. You're an image bearer of God. And your marriage is to be an image bearer. We're we're living testaments. We're living oracles. We're always proclaiming something. Lord, I ask, release revelation, the dignity of this incredible institution of marriage, this mystery. God, I pray that honor, honor for marriage, 
just as you commanded in Hebrews 13. Let marriage be held in honor by all. Honor for marriage would pierce us. You know, there's obvious ways that we dishonor our marriage by looking at other people besides our spouse in a sexual way or or demeaning or belittling our spouse, speaking negatively of them. But, But I'm even going after this. I'm even going after the time you have together. Do you treat it as precious? Your approach to one another, is it completely casual? Or do you have an esteem for who you are together as one? I want to ratchet it up. I want to ratchet up the honor and the esteem for marriage. Not because I want to get into some humanistic swirl where we're just sort of worshiping one another, but that we would comprehend the sacrament of it. We would comprehend the dignity of it. We comprehend the declaration of it. The beauty of it. I I want us to tremble over it. I, I want us to look at our spouse and tremble over the mystery of being joined. And if you're single, I want that tremble to, to grip you over the issue of being married, that, that you wouldn't approach it with flippancy or like it's some sort of theme park you're going to go to and have a wild ride at. It will be a wild ride, guaranteed. But it needs to be dignified and honored. Let marriage be honored. That's what he said. And the reason why is because it's so intrinsically linked to who we are as image bearers. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. 